Well, as many of you know, earlier this year in February, Emily and I went to the Holy Land. And when we were in the Holy Land, one of my favorite places was the Sea of Galilee, because it's on the Sea of Galilee that you really feel like, you know, this is a place where we know Jesus lived, Jesus walked. When you're on the water, you know this was the water that Jesus was on. And so the Sea of Galilee was kind of my favorite region. And there was a city on the Sea of Galilee that was one of my favorites, and it was a city called Magdala. And Magdala is the city where Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, was from. And so there in that city, um, some recent archaeological excavations have revealed one of the earliest Jewish synagogues of the time. And it's, it is in a pristine condition. It's awesome. And there's a museum there, and there's lots of different archaeological things and tour guides. And on our tour there, we had an amazing time seeing some of these early artifacts and they have this center there, and in the center they have eight pillars representing women of faith. Women like Mary of Magdala, Susanna, Joanna, Salome, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and other women who followed Jesus, who learned from him, who had their lives transformed by them. And so while we were there, we paused for a little while. We reflected on these women of faith and what they could teach us. We learned and earlier this year, when I surveyed the church asking, hey, what would you like to hear about in an upcoming sermon series? What Bible characters, stories, or things like that? I was reminded of Magdala because people kept saying, we want to learn about the women of the Bible. Women who are often overlooked in the Bible. Women who are often kind of, you know, hey, let's just have the women learn about them in women's Bible study. People said, you know what, we want to learn about them. So that's what we're going to do in this series called Unforgettable. We're going to learn the stories of some unforgettable women in the Bible. We're going to take time to pause, to reflect on them, and see what they can teach us about Jesus Christ and about our faith and how they can inspire us. And at Magdala, when we were there, um, below that room with these pillars of faith is what they call the Encounter Chapel. And in the Encounter Chapel, the floor of the chapel is the original floor of the marketplace in Magdala. And there's an altar table there. And then in the midst of all of these ancient things, there was this modern mural. And when I was there in Israel, I mean, we saw a ton of art, a ton of ancient artifacts. But in the midst of all of that, this one modern picture has really stuck with me and really stood out to me. Some people call it the mural of the feet. Some people call it the mural of the hand. And it's, it's a pretty unforgettable picture because it's about six feet by 20 feet. It's huge. And it's highly detailed. And this mural depicts the story in the Bible that's found in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. A story about a woman who had an issue with blood. And so this morning, as we kick off this series, Unforgettable, we're going to be looking at her story together. And this story actually involves not only her, but also another woman. And these two women, actually their names are unknown in the Bible. We just know that these were two women who encountered Jesus, who had great needs. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them up to Mark chapter 5, where we find these stories. Beginning in verse 21, as we read about the beginnings of their encounters with Jesus. And Mark tells us this, that when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and 
saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. And the large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowds and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So the first woman we encounter is a woman whose name we don't know. She's simply known as Jairus' daughter. And in a male-centered and a male-dominated culture like they lived in, it was very common for women to simply be known in relationship to the males in their lives. So-and-so's husband, so-and-so's daughter. So we have Jairus' daughter. We don't know much about her. We know she was 12 years old from later in the passage. And we know that she came from a family of great means because her father, Jairus, was a leader, kind of like a president of the local synagogue. And so we can rest assured that Jairus had probably tried to do everything that he could do with his money, right? He'd gone to the doctors, he'd tried to help his daughter get all the help, do all of the things that he knew how to do with his resources, and he's come up short. And so he's heard that Jesus has come into town. Jesus, this man who was claiming and who people had witnessed to be a healer. And so he finds Jesus in the midst of this crowd and he falls on his knees, something that a rich person wouldn't have done. It was a very undignified thing, but he falls on his knees and he says, Jesus, please heal my daughter. Give her new life. We need you. And I love how Jesus honors his request. Because we don't know what Jesus was planning to do that day. We don't know where he was planning to go. Maybe he had a great teaching that he was planning to do with people. But Jesus put all of that aside. He saw this man. He listened to him. And so they began journeying to Jairus' daughter in Jairus' house. And as they were journeying, the crowds were kind of pressing in on Jesus. It was probably kind of a crazy time in that village because you have to think, back then they didn't have Netflix, they didn't have the state fair, they didn't have all of this cool stuff going on in Atlanta, right? So when somebody like Jesus came to town, a teacher who was rumored to be a healer, all the crowds would have come out. It would have created a huge buzz in the community. And the buzz was so strong that it even reached out to the edge of town, to people who lived on the outskirts of town. People like this woman who Mark tells us had been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. Hurting. This wasn't just a physical issue that she had. It was also a relational and a spiritual issue. Because she had been bleeding for 12 years by the law in Leviticus, she was deemed unclean. And so as someone who is unclean, if she were to touch and interact with other people who were clean, then they would then be deemed unclean. And so with her perpetual state of uncleanness from this issue of blood, we don't know exactly what it was, she lived away from everybody else. Lived in isolation, not wanting to deal with other people and other people not wanting to deal with her. She wasn't able to go and do things at the synagogue like other people were able to do. 
She lived a life of isolation. Really, the only interaction she had was with her doctors. And they weren't really any help. Because while she had money at one point in time, she had spent it all. She had spent it all trying to receive healing from them and nothing was working. And so now she was not only a woman who was deemed a low status in that society, she was not only unclean, now she was also poor. But even on the edge of town, she heard that Jesus was coming, this man who could heal. And so she probably thought, you know, should I hope again? I've hoped many times for these doctors. Should I, should I risk hope again? Should I risk going out into the crowd and people rejecting me and pushing me aside? I mean, this is a holy man. And I'm unclean, and so I can't really come into contact with him. I'm not supposed to do that. And so in the midst of all that stuff in her head, she concocted a plan. She said, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to reach out. I'm just going to touch his cloak. And then, hopefully, I'll be healed. And so what she likely did was she likely crawled on the ground, like the image depicts, crawling through everybody in that crowd, trying not to be seen, trying to touch Jesus. She was at the bottom of society. Jairus' daughter and her family were kind of near the top of society. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years. Jairus' daughter was only 12 years old. Her entire life, this woman had been bleeding. This woman was able to come to Jesus on her own to seek help. This woman... She was on her deathbed, and so she was unable to go herself, and her father went on her behalf. There are a number of differences in these two women's stories, but there's one thread that brings them together, and that is that they were both desperate. They were both desperate. Have you ever been desperate? remember a time, New Year's Eve of 2012, I was trying to enter a photography contest, and so I said, you know what would be amazing is to get a picture of the sunrise on New Year's Day. And I had a spot in mind, Black Balsam's Knob in North Carolina. It's at 6,000 feet elevation, just off the Blue Ridge Parkway. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to go out, I'm going to camp, I'm going to get this picture so I can win some money in this contest. So I loaded up my car and all my gear, and I started heading up that way. And as I got closer and approached the Blue Ridge Parkway, I realized that uh, the parkway was closed due to inclement weather and due to winter weather like it does. And if I was able to get to the spot on the Blue Ridge Parkway, it's like a half-mile hike up to the knob, and then I could get the picture, camp at the base. It would be pretty easy. But as I approached, I saw the road was closed. But being the good Boy Scout, the wise Boy Scout that I was, I had maps, and so I knew there was an alternate route. Being the foolish Boy Scout I was, I was all by myself and nobody really knew what I was doing. So I saw on the maps that I could do, drive another place and hike in about five miles. So I drove over there, got my gear together, and began hiking. And I wasn't wearing the right shoe. I was wearing cowboy boots, believe it or not. I don't wear them here. But I was wearing some cowboy-style boots because I wasn't planning on walking far. And so as I was walking, I was getting blisters so I was kind of stopping every once in a while. And at one point I was stopped drinking some water. And there was a group of backpackers coming from the other direction. 
the direction I was heading. And they said, where are you headed to? And I said, oh, up to the knob. And they said, good luck. And they kept walking. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm halfway there. I've invested too much at this point to turn around. So I kept going and the sun is going down. But thankfully, I got up to the knob right before the sun set. And a knob, if you don't know it, usually doesn't have trees on top of it. And so it was very windy. The temperatures were dropping. And this was in a wilderness area, which I'd really never been in before. And so I was there by myself with nobody else for miles around me. And I'd set up my tent. And as the, te- the temperatures with the wind were getting below freezing, my phone battery was dying because batteries die in cold weather. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and get in for the night. I didn't have stuff for a fire, so I pull out my sleeping bag. And it wasn't the winter sleeping bag I thought I had packed. It was like a summer-style sleeping bag. <laughs> and so I got in the sleeping bag, and I was shivering. And I was desperate. And so I just called out to God and I said, God, I need you. Because I'm out here all alone. There's nobody else. And I want to make it through this night. Have you ever been desperate? Maybe it's desperate for healing. Like the woman in this story. Maybe you found yourself desperate during a season in your marriage where the honeymoon was clearly over and you were just trying to survive. Maybe you've been desperate when the bill collectors are calling your house. Maybe you've been desperate for forgiveness because you've done something that you feel like you could never forgive yourself for. Nobody else in this world could ever forgive you for. Maybe you feel like God wouldn't even forgive you for it. Maybe you've been desperate because something terrible's happened to you and you just want somebody to listen to you, to give you dignity and to listen to your story. Maybe you found yourself desperate for healing after not getting the job, not making the team after a breakup. You've been desperate for peace. At some point in our lives, all of us have been desperate. Because desperation affects all of us, and desperation is a great equalizer. It affects rich people, it affects poor people, it affects African Americans, white people, Asians, Hispanics, young, old. Desperation is something that eventually, at some point in our life, will come to all of us. Desperation is that season or that moment when you realize that you've done all you can do. And you don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. You really, it's when you come to the end of yourself. And none of us really ever want to be desperate, right? We never want to be in a season of desperation. But here's the thing. When we come to the end of ourselves, a lot of times it's at that point that we have the opportunity to say to God, God, I'm out of the way now. There's nothing I can do. I need you. You see, desperation can open us up to the dramatic power of God in our lives. And while we often view desperation as failure, God views desperation as an opportunity. As an opportunity to act. 
And Jessica Legrone, who is the chaplain at Asbury Seminary, she recently did a study of every miracle in the Bible, or all the miracles that Jesus performed, and she found that there was one common thread in all of those miracles, and guess what it was? Everybody who received a miracle was desperate. They couldn't do it on their own. They needed someone else to intervene on their behalf. And so Jessica calls desperation a gift. A gift that can open us up to God and his dramatic power in our lives. And as we continue in these stories, that's exactly what we see. Because as we continue in these stories and these two women have their encounters with Jesus, we see God's power on display. In verse 27, we continue. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And so he turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? And overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, he told Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And he didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home, Of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? This child isn't dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. As a woman with the issue of blood approached Jesus, she was crawling and she was hoping against all hope. And she reached out her hand to touch the edge of his garment. And immediately she was healed. Immediately the blood stopped flowing. Immediately she knew in her spirit that physically she was healed. That that psychologically she had a new outlook on life. She had a future now. And so she likely began crawling away. Celebrating inside, wanting to jump for joy, but, but her clothes would have still been unclean. And so she was probably trying to get away when Jesus stops everything. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples, you know, they think this is absurd because they're like, Jesus, a lot of people are touching you. A lot of people are bumping into you. But Jesus knew this touch was different. And we don't know if he waited 
just a second or if he waited a few minutes as he said, who touched me? But finally, this woman comes forward with fear and trembling. She's afraid because she was one who was unclean. In the midst of this crowd, she was someone who was unclean, who touched the garment of this holy teacher. She didn't know what people would say or what people would think, but she just told the honest truth to Jesus. And then Jesus told her what she already knew. You are healed. And I think Jesus made her come out of anonymity and speak these things. One, because he wanted to give her dignity. Because if you notice, no longer is she simply the woman with the issue of blood. Now she is known by who she truly is. She is known as daughter. Daughter of the Most High. Jesus is letting her know, look, now you're part of a community again. Now you're joining us. You're joining a new community. You're joining my community, the people who have faith in me. Because that's the other thing Jesus tells her. He says, look, it wasn't some kind of magic that healed you. It wasn't your persistence. It wasn't your determination. It was your faith that has healed you. You can just see the joy and the freedom that came in that moment. But as soon as that moment happens, here comes people from Jairus' house saying, the situation is no longer desperate. It's destitute. Because she's dead. So Jesus, just go on and do whatever your plans were for the day. We don't, we don't need you anymore. Jairus probably had fear and trembling and sorrow in that moment. But Jesus said to him, don't, don't have fear. Don't worry, believe. Have faith. And so they journeyed to the house. Jesus laid hands on her, another person who was unclean, a dead body. He laid hands on her, and there in that room with a few of his close disciples, Jairus and his wife, Jesus gave this little girl new life. And there was astonishment, and I'm sure there was joy. My favorite part of the story is that Jesus says to her, go get a little piece of bread, go get some orange juice, go get a piece of fish. He tells her to go and eat so that people will know this is real. This girl who was dead is now alive by the power of Jesus. You see, in these situations where they're both desperate, they had a choice. They had a choice if they, in their desperation, were going to seek out and depend on something else or someone else, or if they were simply going to despair. And these two stories show us that they chose depending on Jesus Christ. They chose stepping out in faith, coming to Jesus and asking him to do something that they couldn't do for themselves, And as they came with their desperation in hand, with faith in their hearts, Jesus met them and God showed up in a powerful way. God showed them his love. God showed them that he was willing to cross every boundary, even death, for their sake to lift them up. You see, these two miracles are actually signs. 
They're signs like all miracles in the Bible. And signs are simply things that point beyond themselves. They point beyond themselves to something else. And these signs, like all miracles in the Bible, are pointing to God. And to God's power. To God, the God who looked down at our world and saw that it was in desperate need of a Savior. That it was dingy, it was dirty, that it was full of sin. And God said, you know what, something needs to be done about this. And so in the fullness of time, God entered into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we see throughout his entire ministry, he was always reaching out to desperate people. People who were desperate for forgiveness. People who were desperate to receive sight. Lepers who were desperate to be embraced again. Jesus brought to desperate kingdoms of this world the kingdom of God so that they could be transformed. Jesus came into this world. He lived, he died, and he rose again so that desperate people like you and me, so people who are desperate to have a relationship with God could have a relationship with God now and in eternity. Jesus is the savior of desperate people. I don't know what you're desperate for this morning. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's the ability to forgive yourself. Maybe you're desperate for someone else to forgive you. Maybe you're desperate to know God's forgiveness in your heart. Maybe you're desperate for healing for yourself or for someone else in your family. Maybe you're desperate to know why in your life, after all these years with your faith, you, you haven't received healing. Maybe you're desperate to just know God's presence in your heart. Maybe you're desperate for reconciliation in a relationship. Maybe you're desperate just to be desperate for something, to feel something again. Maybe you're desperate for more of God. I don't know what you're desperate for this morning. Maybe it's chains to be broken in your life or chains of addiction to be broken in a child's life. I don't know what you're desperate for, but I do know this, is that Jesus wants to meet you in that place of need. Jesus wants to meet you in your deepest place of need. He wants to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He wants to pour out his grace. He wants to pour out his love. He wants to pour out salvation. He wants to pour out wholeness upon you today. Like these women, you and I have a choice. You and I have a choice whether we're going to let our desperation lead us away from God and lead us to be bitter and closed off and move away from Him, or if our desperation is going to lead us closer to God. If it's going to open us up for God to work in us, if with faith we're going to draw closer to Him and see His work in our lives, we have a choice. But the good news is Jesus is with us here this morning and he wants to meet you. He wants to meet you in that place of need. And this morning we're sharing in Holy Communion together. 
and in some mysterious way that is very hard to explain and even understand theologically, Jesus is present with us through these gifts of bread and wine. He's present with us and he's inviting us to come and to touch him, to have an encounter with him. He wants to meet you and I. And so in just a minute, we're going to sing. We're going to have the kids come in. We're going to present these Bibles to them. And then as a church family, we're going to share in this meal together. And as you come to this table, I want to invite you, as is the tradition in, in this church and many churches, to come with your hands open in the sign of a cross. Because this is a sign of desperation. It's a sign that you're in need. It's a posture of receiving. It's a sign saying to Jesus, Jesus, I need you to do for me what I can't do for myself. I need you and I'm open to receiving from you this morning. May you meet him at this table. Let's pray. God, you know there are so many needs in this room. God, there is a lot of desperation. God, for the Brennan family who's crying out on your behalf. God, for families in Henry County and beyond who have lost people in these recent weeks. God, there are people in this room who are simply desperate for more of you. They're desperate to feel alive, to receive the new life that you and only you can give to us. God, we're desperate on other people's behalf. We're desperate for you. And so we ask this morning that you would meet us, that you would speak to us, that you would pour out your power and your presence among us so that we can have life and life to the full like these two women experienced. God, would you give it to us now?